0: TheYeshiva.net One of the questions on last week's class was, I explained, we explained, the fascinating statement that we say every single morning. And you know, I hope that with all these classes, a lot of pieces of the morning davening become more clear and more uh, personal. So one of those pieces that I think many of us just... uh, you know, skim through very swiftly, especially that it has the mazel to be in the karbonah section, is tonerabonon abonon, pitum keitzat. How did the Jewish people prepare, pitum how did they prepare the incense? And we go through the 11 herbs that were used. These 11 herbs were harvested and grinded, into thin powder, dak, it had to be dak, and there was an exact measurement of how much they used of each herb, was weighed, we go through that whole process, and then we go through the names of those 11 herbs, Hatsari, Hatziparin, Chelbana, Lavaina, Lavaina frankincense, that has a certain weight, then you have Moir, Musk, ktsia Naird, saffron That has a certain weight. Kaisht, Kilufa, and the last one, kinamain Cinnamon. Sounds like kinamin Cinnamon. That's the last one of the 11 herbs. Then he says, if you put an oil, you disqualified it. Don't add oil. If you did not put in even one herb, you're missing one. You have ten, not eleven. There's a heavenly death penalty. Which is obviously very strange. So somebody wanted to... I gave an explanation last time what it means. So we, we explained one aspect of it. It goes a little deeper and I just wanted to clarify that. And it really sums up the whole point here. What, what, what have we been learning? What was the point? That in Kedusha... Everything is usually categorized in number ten. That's why a minion is ten. To bring down a special energy of holiness to say Kadesh, Aminesh Miraba, Barhu, Kedusha, nagdishah, Kriya Satyra, all these types of things, we need ten. There's the concept of ten in holiness. And ten begins with the ten building blocks of existence. They're known as the ten spheres. And this is the key, that Hashem is infinite. His presence is infinite, His light is infinite. But Hashem chose to define His energy within ten categories, so to speak. Ten modalities, ten points of light, ten structural energies. In other words, to put it a little more accurately, Hashem identified within His infinity... He identified within his infinity 10 characteristics. He could have identified within his infinity a 1,000 characteristics, and a million, and a trillion, and infinite characteristics. But he identified within his inf- infinite light, infinite presence, 10 characteristics that we call Chachma, bina, Adaz, Chesed, Vurit, Eferis, Netzer, Chaydi, Malchus, which we discussed many times. Those are called the 10 spheres, and Kabbalistically they are the 10 building blocks of the world not just of our world, of every one of the world, every one of the spiritual states of consciousness, and they're also the ten building blocks of the human soul, and therefore the human brain. Like it says in Tanya in chapter 3, that nishtal shalomahen, the ten faculties of each soul, each soul is comprised of ten characteristics, cognitive, emotional, functional. The animal soul, the divine soul, the reptilian brain, the prefrontal cortex, we have we are comprised of these ten. This is known as the structure of seder Ishtalshalus. Structure of Said Ishtalshalus means the structure through which Hashem chose to create, sustain, and relate to the universe. Just like we say the seven days of creation, each one is one Mida. One of them is Mida. Then there's the three previous ones called Chachma binadas. So that's why. It's always categorized in number 10. That's why 10 is considered the wholesome number. Misper Hashalim. Why 10? Why not 9? Why not 11? Why not 20? Why not 30? Even the numbers, it's all 10. And then you multiply. You get 11, and then you have 101, and you have 120, and then you get into the thousands, and so forth. The digits increase. The numbers increase. But the structure is 1 to 10, because that structure is fundamental to creation, and it's known as the structure of the 10 spheres. We find here the fascinating thing that in Klippah, an unholiness, we speak about 11. 11 crowns of impurity. And this was the long explanation in the Maimer, which I'm not going to repeat now because it's a very deep explanation. And I do encourage you to review the previous class and the class before that. The previous classes we had on this Maimer. But the point was, very, very briefly in summation, that in Kedusha, the hallmark of holiness is integration, internalization. The divine energy becomes one with that which it is giving life to. In other words, what makes something holy is the transparency of it, the fact that it's aware of its relationship with the divine. What makes klipa klipa? The lack of awareness. In klipa there's always a certain lack of self-awareness because there's a lack of divine awareness. And how can you have self-awareness if you don't have divine awareness when the self is a derivative of the divine? I hope you understood what I just said. So klipa means a shell, a husk. So it eclipses its own real energy. So there's like a dissonance, there's a split. That's why klipa is called klipa. Any feeling or any experience, any emotion, any instinct, any thought that comes into your brain and that thought basically is telling you you're detached, you're separate, you're lonely, you're broken, you're shattered, uh, you're a piece of garbage, you're unworthy of love. That's called a thought of klipa, meaning it's a thought that blocks you. It it it's, it's like a shell, you know, a banana shell covers the banana. Thank God a banana shell we peel. but It's not always easy to peel. You have a walnut, right? A walnut, it's called an egg. It's a very thick shell. You need to take a nutcracker and crack the shell. Sometimes you have a bigger klipa, a more dense, more thick. Sometimes it's thinner. But the common denominator in all of them is You don't see what's inside. There's a cover-up. There's a blockage. When I'm feeling that I'm unworthy of love because I'm just messed up and therefore I'm never going to get it so therefore I replace my need for love with my need for attention or validation. I remember somebody once told me something very intense. I asked him, Why do you work so hard? He He was such a workaholic. And he said to me, I'm going to prove to the people in the office that they need me. I'm going to prove to them that they need me. That's what I need. I have to prove it to them that they need me. And he was aware of that. Aware of that need. So all these types of thoughts that make me feel uh, separate, that's called a a machshava, a thought, or an emotion, or anything that comes from Kalippa. Now we all deal with this. That's what it is. So in Klippot, there's no direct connection with your source of infinity. I'm not always aware of my oneness, of my being part of oneness. One with me, one with the world, and of course one with the source of the world, which is Hashem. So in Klippot, there's number 11, because you have the 10 characteristics of Klippot, just like you have Kedusha, zela Umazah, everything is, is in equal balance. So if you have 10 here, you have 10 there. But in klipa you have number 11, which is the divine energy that vivifies it, that gives it chayas, that gives it energy. Because the divine energy is above, it's aloof, it's sublime, it's transcendent. It's not integrated in the klipa, because if it would be integrated, the clipper would not be clip anymore. The clipper would either swallow it up and it would dissipate, or the clipa would melt into it. And there wouldn't be an existence of klipa, So that's why in have number 11. And the point of the 11 herbs of Kteris was to elevate, to sublimate all the klippos that exist in our psyche and turn them into a fragrant aroma because every klippos is a challenge to work through and when you work it through, you come to a much deeper place in yourself. Just like when I work through those thoughts of, of trauma or those wounds, and I work it through, I come to a much deeper clarity, to a much deeper place of love. Because whenever you transform negative energy into positive energy, it's always much deeper. As we know, the light that comes from darkness is deeper than the light that is just natural light. So that's why if you're missing one of the herbs, it's Chayev Misa. Because if I do, is that one of the herbs, what did I do? I declared a death sentence on the Klippa. I declared a death sentence on, on one of those people. Or one of those aspects of reality, because I ignored the eleventh herb. By ignoring the eleventh herb, what am I doing? I'm not allowing it to be elevated. I'm, also, I'm depriving it from its life source, from its sublimation, and that's a form of death. So chayev misa. I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm experiencing what I have done to others. So that's the idea that it's not just in the physical sense. Somebody is going to kill this person. It's not Mrs. Beisden. There's no death penalty. It's the concept that, spiritually speaking, this is something that created more the opposite of life for all those people because I was not ready to bring in all the 11 herbs. In other words, you always have to understand these halachas, as really a blueprint of something happening in a very cosmic way for those who have the sensitive eyes and the sensitive soul to appreciate the inner dynamic. Especially if the number 11 is the divine energy, then, then your mama's depriving it of, of its chiyos. So that's, that's, there's a lot to say about this, but I just wanted to clarify it because I know that it was a little of a heavy explanation. And uh, I just wanted to clarify it. Somebody's asking here, No, Chay of Misa doesn't mean that uh, the court executes you. There's no such a thing. Uh, there's, certain, there's certain transgressions in Halacha where there's a death penalty by the court. For example, somebody murders somebody, there could be a death penalty. Idolatry, adultery, there's certain sins that the Torah enumerates. Even then, it was not it was not simple, because you had to have witnesses, and the witnesses had to warn, and the witnesses are cross examined. If the circumstantial evidence, it didn't really work. If the person was a danger for society, even though there were no witnesses, for example, if the person is going around murdering people and there's no witnesses, they would still lock up the person or or do whatever they had to do to protect society. But the concept of death penalty was very, very difficult to receive in Jewish law. There's a Mishnah in Sanhedrin that um, the sages, one of the sages said that if I would be uh, if I would be in the court, um, they would uh, there won't be a death penalty once in seventy years. And one, somebody once said, "Rabbi there would never be death penalty because yeah, there's always a loophole." Chayiv misa here means misa shamayim, which means it's a it's a heavenly penalty for which a person can always do tshuva because God knows your heart. It's not like an earthly court. But Chay Misa really is the concept that there's something here that is very, very uh, challenging. Something that is really, really counterproductive. And the question is, what's the big deal? So you didn't put in one ingredient into breakfast. So you didn't put in an ingredient into the cholent. So God has a cholent. It's called k'tayris. So you didn't put in an ingredient. Okay, so use baking powder. Use baking powder, the, the eternal substitute, right? A little sugar, whatever, a little oil. The pshat here is something much deeper. By the way, just stam. We speak a lot about the sheer of ten tfachim, right? For example, to have a rishus hayachid, a private domain, the walls have to be tent tefachim. A sukkah has to be tent tefachim. Tent tefachim, a tefach is a hand breadth. There's an ama, a cubit, and a tefach is a hanbeth. So ten fachim is the size of a reshus, the size of a domain of the walls. A ten tfachim, it could be a private domain for Shabbos, for sukkah, for other halachas. So you have that concept of ten tfachim. Again, spiritually, it's the ten sphires. Each tefach represents the ten spheres, and that makes a full reshus. So Klipa has this uh, tefach hecher, Uh, uh, 11th tefach, which is the transcendent divine energy. But but here here comes the point. Yitzchak wants to bless Esau, because Yitzchak knows that Esau, even though his life is challenging, and even though the trajectory of his life is not the one that Avram and Yitzchak try to instill in the children, But Yitzchak knows that Esav has tremendous, tremendously deep spiritual sparks. Esav is a very high soul, is a very deep soul, as we spoke in previous classes. And he hopes that the blessings will help wake up his sparks. They will bring them out from him, which is a fascinating idea. He doesn't want to bless him because he's naive, because he's giving him just good food. There's something deeper. Ayat says he loves him ki b'fiv. There is game in his mouth. So everybody knows the Hasidic interpretation. Game in his mouth is not just physical. It means, tzayid means to hunt, to trap. Because when you hunt an animal, you trap it, right? Whether you put a trap or whatever you do. Tsayed befiv, there was something trapped in Aesop's mouth. In Aesop's mouth, is trapped tremendously deep sparks and potentials. And that's why over the generations it says that the Alter Rebbe says that from the Arizal that result that Yitzchok saw in Asaph, he saw the soul of Reb Meir. Reb Meir was a convert, he came from Asaph. He saw the soul of Shmaya and Aftalian, came from Asaph. He saw the soul of Rabbi Akiva, came from Asaph. He saw the soul of Unculus. Unculus is the one who gave us the Targum, he was a nephew of Titus, he converted. Targumunculus, after the destruction of the second temple, came from Esau. All the souls of Gerim, of converts from Edom, from Esau, this is what Yitzchak saw. He saw it in Esau. They're part of what's called epigenetics of Esau. Today we call it epigenetics. They come from Esau. And Yitzchak saw this in Esau. And indeed they came out of Esau. And the fact that he wanted to bless them helped in that sense because he wanted to bring out this point. Practically, it wouldn't work without Yaakov. Ace of sublimation comes through Yaakov. But Yitzchak wants to bless Esav. And in order to do that, he needs to bring in a higher light. He can't just bring in the regular light. you gotta, you got to come in with the strongest, intense light because you have to lift up sparks that have fallen low. You need a much more intense level of, of love and spiritual energy. And that's the tenderness that exists between Yitzchak and Esav. The problem is, as we learned, if Yaakov wouldn't receive the blessings, it would come straight to Esav. One of two things would happen: either the energy would be swallowed up in in Esav, in other words, it would be squandered because he wasn't in the in the mindset of being uplifted, or he would become a zombie. It would just obliterate him. Now, I just want to make a. I want to just say something. I gave a metaphor for this that sometimes a person is struggling with addiction, and you may give them money to go into recovery. But they're not in a position where they're capable of that at the moment. So they use the money and they squander it. And that was my metaphor, that if Yitzchak would have given of the blessings, this light, instead of elevating Esav, would be lost in Esav. It would be swallowed up in Esav. There was somebody who sent me an email and they felt... Perhaps justifiably, I didn't think that was that way. That when I gave the metaphor about, uh, about this, about drugs, about addiction, I was saying it in a humorous way. And that it may have been offensive to people, especially who are struggling with this or have loved ones struggling with this. So I just want to apologize for that. I, do, I, I don't think I, I, I don't remember saying it in a humorous way because I'm quite aware of the catastrophes. And quite aware of the suffering of many people, people that I know personally, people that I'm dealing with as I speak—I don't mean at this moment, but this morning—and other situations, including people who are close to me. So uh, I'm completely aware of how serious and sensitive this is. But the fact that somebody perceived the death way is enough for me to express my apology and remorse, and God forbid, I didn't mean it in any way to make—I did, I didn't mean in any way to make light of it. But if it was experienced that way, my sincere apologies to you and to anybody who took it that way. This, was, this is a very serious issue, and it's a very serious metaphor. The metaphor is that, uh, that sometimes people are not ready to receive all the light that we want to give them, and you have to know when they're ready and when they're not ready. So we have also online our, some of our close friends who come come to the classes from different Interesting countries, aspiring converts. So you may also be coming from those sparks of Asaf. Yes. Somebody just commented, so that's what I'm responding to. So now the blessings have to go to Asaf, but they have to go through Yaakov. What are the lights that Yitzchok wants to give to Asaf to get the blessings out? The answer is, the answer is number 11. What do we mean by number 11? So here is the point, and I hope this was understood. This is not so easy to understand. I'm going to start with the practical and then go back to the abstract. Okay. One of the biggest challenges that anybody who's dealing with something who does not fit into our system is that we are shaken up by it. And therefore we feel that we need to get that person to come back into our fold. The problem is, in the famous metaphor of Reb Nachman of Breslev. you know the metaphor? There was a prince who decided that he was a chicken, and he took off his clothes, and he went under the table, and he sat under the table without clothes, living like a chicken, eating like a chicken, communicating like a chicken, and no doctor in the world can heal him. And Reb Nachman says, one wise sage came. He said, I'll heal him. He took off his clothes, and he went under the table with him, and he said, I'm also a chicken. And slowly from that space, he turned this prince around. He taught him how to wear an undershirt and how to eat with a fork and how to go to the bathroom and how to speak. And when the prince was saying, we don't do this, he says, no, I'm a chicken and I also do this. It's a very profound metaphor of Reb Nachum. What Reb Nachum was saying is, if you're not ready to go under the table and take off your clothes and live with the chicken on his terms, you're never going to bring him to your space. You're never going to elevate him. This is a challenge. This is a very profound challenge. In other words, I have to be able to go out of my comfort zone, get rid of my clothes, get rid of my stereotypes, get rid of my phobia, get rid of my judgment. That's a big one. Because as long as I'm in I'm in my own space and I want you to come to me, I'm never going to be able to reach you. It's like a lifeguard. This is the Bal Shem Tov's metaphor. I've got a sitting on the throne. You remember those? What are they called? Lifeguard cheers. On by the beach, and somebody is struggling, and the beach does an undercurrent. Lifeguard says, "Hey, hey, you, 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 shlemazel, come back." That's not how you save somebody. You got to jump in, and there's always a danger that the lifeguard chas v'shalom could be swept away. That's why if you don't know how to swim, you don't jump in, and you schlep him out. You can't schlep somebody out from sitting on an ivory tower and saying, "Hey, you, shaita, you moron, come." Doesn't work that way. You have to go into the trenches. Because how can I connect to you if I'm not connecting to you? I have to connect to you by you experiencing me in your life. This is called connection. This is called a relationship. But let's face it, this is not easy for people. It's called attachment. You have to be attached. You have to be connected. You have to be able to allow the other person to experience your heart, your empathy, your love. As we said a few times, love is learning the song in another person's heart and singing it to them when they might have forgotten it. I can't learn my song only and sing it to you when you have forgotten your song. I have to be able to sing your song to you when you might have forgotten it. I have to be able to dance to your beat. I have to be able to join you in your music. That takes tremendous confidence and tremendous humility, tremendous vulnerability. It's like the metaphor I sped last week, last class from the Rebbe. You have to take off your clothes and jump into the ocean. And the Rebbe said, what did the Rebbe Rashab mean by that metaphor? You have to go etzem to etzem, not lavushim. Lavushim is camouflage, uniform." It's not uniform to uniform. Sometimes a person is not wearing a uniform. How are you going to get them? By putting on a nice uniform. You have to get rid of the uniform and go to the etzah, Go to the core. This means I have to go into a much deeper place within myself. So this is the chiddush of this maimer. Kiddush osa has number 11. Because Hashem is not defined by spheros. Hashem is not defined by Structures. Hashem is infinite, that's called keser, it's called atik, it's number 11. The difference is, by kedusha we don't count number 11, because number 11 is not what gives life to the 10 spheros. Because what gives life to the 10 spheros is integrated within the 10 spheres. you have only 10. By klipa we count number 11 because by klipa they get Chiyus from number 11, from the Makif. I know this is not so easy, but we explained it last time and two times ago more in detail. In Kadusha, number 11 is separate. Because the 10 are getting energy in a way that is integrated with the 10. So we call it 10 sources of energy. But in klipa, the 10 can get energy from integration because it's klipa. So how does it get its energy from number 11? So therefore in klipa we always count 11 together with 10. So how do you access the kedusha in Klippa? only through accessing number 11 in Kedusha. Because this is the uniqueness of Esav, even over Yaakov. We spoke about this many times over the years, especially Torah, our classes on Torah, parashas vayetzi and vayishlach, that Esav has something that Yaakov doesn't have. Because since Klippa gets its life from number 11, which is transcendent, there's something um, unlimited that Klippa has within it. Esav has certain intense lights that Yaakov doesn't have. Because by Yaakov... The kalim of tikkun prevail over the oir, and an ace of the Iris of Tayu prevail over the kalim. which means an ace of the energy is stronger than the vessel, because the vessels don't contain the energy. The energy has a certain infinite element that's not harnessed. That's why it's klip, but there's no integration. On the other hand, there's something very authentic, very raw, very real. I think Reb Nachman writes somewhere that Esau was given the gift of art more than Yaakov. Because art, artistic expression, has very, very much to do with uh, bohemian uh, disposition and character that doesn't like to limit itself. The system of Judaism is one that's based on structure. There's some things we do when the sun rises, when the sun sets. There's a shachris, there's a mincha, there's a maireh, there's a time for kriyashma, there's a time for tefillah, there's a time to say a bracha. A person goes to the bathroom, they come out, there's a system. There's systems, there's structures, there's Shabbos, there's Yom Tif, there's morning, there's evening. It's called Seder. Because one cannot be successful in life without Seder, without discipline, without boundaries. One needs those boundaries, one, and it's, one needs structure, and it's all based on the spheres. But here's the thing. We can also get trapped in structure. Structure, instead of being a medium, a venue to connect to God, it can become a, a, an independent trap that we start worshipping. And who allows us, and who challenges us not to become smug in our structures? It's Esav. So Yaakov needs Esav just like Esav needs Yaakov. That's one of the great, chidu, one of the great ideas, Chidushim, of the Alter Rebbe, in this whole sugya based on Kabbalah, based on Deirizel, Esav needs Yaakov. Without Yaakov, Esav won't be sublimated, but Yaakov also needs Esav. Esav is doing Yaakov a favor as well. That's why I wrote in one of the titles, the children who challenge you most are also doing you the deepest favor. Why? They're teaching you about God. You say, no, 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 I just want Nachas. (laughs) Is it Nachas? Yes, we all want Nachas. But what is Nachas? Is nachas the way I want nachas, the way my ego wants nachas, my family, you know, it's, it's nice, it's geschmack. Then there's godly nachas. Godly nachas. I asked, I, 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 a mother phoned me the other day, so she has very interesting children. So I wished her, then you should have nachas. She tells me, about Jacobson, I've learned in my life that if you want nachas, you have to find it. <laughs> you have to find it. In other words, it was very interesting. She was a sober woman she was not going to sit on the couch and wait for the nachas to come down from heaven. You know, I have nachas. If you have that, great, awesome. Baruch Hashem, I'm not complaining. You know, take, take the ball and run with it. But what her point was, sometimes you have to find it, you have to find it. In other words, if I have my, I'm stuck in what my child is supposed to look like and they don't look like that, so I become now a miserable person. How is that going to help the child? How is that going to help me? How is that going to help God? Everybody understands what I'm talking about. Ah, you with me? You have to be able to tune in to what Hashem wants from you today and who this child is today. What's gonna be in five years? We'll see in five years. But who is this person today? How can I connect with you today and bring out the best in you today? And for that, that means I have to sometimes go out of my comfort zone and jump into the water without my clothes. Did I tell you this story? I told it before Yom Kippur. It's a great story. Maybe I even said it last time. I don't remember. Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald. Some of you knew. remember Rabbi Ronnie Greenwald. He was a big tzaddik. He lived here in Munsi. He had the Sternberg camp. And he was a very, very special man. And uh, so he was once Yom Kippur. He came to a hotel on Yom Kippur. And right when he went into Kalnidra, he saw that a van of, of young Jewish boys and girls, who were what you would call ex-Hasidic came to the hotel, they were looking for a place where there's no Jews to hang out and chill out on Yom Kippur. So Ronnie spent most of Yom Kippur with them. Not, not in shul. He came there for the program. So he was there, but most of Yom Kippur, he was with them in the lobby and at the swimming pool. I remember, I, I shared it at last year. I shared, I shared it at Monday. The thing was Monday and, and today, I gave a lot of lectures really a lot of lectures, so therefore I don't remember my apologies. But but that's a point. He could have easily said, it's Yom Kippur, a Jew goes Yom Kippur to Shul, and these bums should also be in Shul on Yom Kippur. Very nice. But they're not. They were at the pool. They were at the pool, and some of them were drinking beer too, on Yom Kippur. So it's very easy to be dismissive and say it's a chi of karis, it's a death penalty to eat on Yom Kippur. Not from the courts, but from heaven. He could have done that. And you know what? He would have gone to Shul, and he would have felt very holy. I don't hang out with such low lives. They're low. But he understood that you have to think not about yourself, you have to think about Hashem. And when you think about Hashem, you don't use the ten spheres as a trap to justify your religious insecurities or egos or fears now this is a very delicate thing because this can also be misconstrued like every deep concept can be misconstrued but that's the power here the power is that there's something in esav that is transcendent it's higher the tragedy of esav is he never harnessed it he never integrated it he doesn't know how to make sense of himself there's something chaotic in esav and the truth is every addict has this Anybody struggling with addiction or struggling with mental challenges, mental insanity, for example. Insanity always comes from number 11. That's insanity. It's called in Chassidus Toihu, chaos. Chaos is where it's at, but we need integration. If there's no integration, the chaos is overwhelming. That's what causes insanity. So this is very, very heavy because Yaakov needs that insanity. And the only way he's going to get that is through Esauv. I like that. Yaakov needs that insanity. And the only way you can get that is through Esav. The problem is with Esav there's no integration. So it's just chaos without resolution. Esav has the vessels. Esav has the structure. Yaakov has the vessels. Yaakov has the structures. When Esav and Yaakov make peace, it's the lights of chaos in the vessels of integration. Iris of Toyu and Caleb of Tikkun. And that's where you have the fusion. And that fusion in our life is a, a, a daily challenge. Because everything in my life that's not resolved comes from that number 11. Yaakov is structure. Yaakov needs to elevate Esav, but for that, Yitzchak wants to, you need to introduce the light of number 11 in holiness, which can then reach into the light of number 11 in Klippa. So practically, if I go to Esav and I start preaching to him about the 10 spheres, he's not attracted to that. Why? because it's not the Kedusha that he knows. So I want you to see the subtlety of this idea. I could preach beautiful things to asaph but if they're coming from the 10 spheres, he won't get it, because it's not the godliness that his soul yearns for. He needs number 11. He needs infinity. He needs maketh. Only when I go into a deeper language within myself, or to put it differently, I transcend my verbal experiences. To go to 11 will I touch the Kedusha and Esav. So that's very powerful. Because sometimes I look at Esav and I'm speaking, and I'm speaking, and there's no effect. And who do I blame? I blame him. Really, I have to go into myself and ask myself that I go into my own transcendence, that I manage to connect to my divinity, from a place that transcends fear insecurity uh, the need to put everything in a mold and a box only when i get to my raw energy can i touch acev's raw energy so now we go further we're going to now continue this was my brief summation sorry <laughs> we're going to go to Sivov. Sivov. this is this is very uh, this is very real ideas. Very real ideas. Those who are who, if you get it, you get it. If you don't get it, I guess you don't get it. But this is such a real idea about how, when I'm communicating godliness through my box, even though that box is holy, I cannot reach you because you're you're allergic to it. You're, you're not get you're not getting it. You know, sometimes I see people trying to touch souls that have been alienated from Yiddishkeit. Let's call them, I don't want to call them asovs but that concept, the, the boy who was alienated or the girl who was alienated, and they're preaching the same language that they were alienated from, and it just doesn't work. It's like, goes right over my head, or I should say under my head. There's no communication here. Sometimes you have a person He's liberated from any stereotypes and any judgment. And he goes right to the raw, 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 beer, naked skeleton, the core of everything. And they're in. They're just right there. They're fully present. (laughs) They're fully present. Because it's that MS that neutralizes the resistance. Because they have number 11. In a way, it's deeper than it's by you. It, there's, there's, a, there's an intensity there that's much deeper. That's why the bal is deeper than the tzaddik. Esav is toyu. Yaakov is tikon. Torah er vayishlach. You should all learn that Mimer if you don't remember it. And even if you do, you should review it. We have it on the yeshiva.net. Torah er parshes is the first Mimer. Yaakov needs Esav. Esav needs Yaakov. Yaakov needs Esav. And Yitzchak knows this. That's why Esav needs the blessings. But he's going to get the blessings through Yaakov. And that means that Yaakov has to discover his own infinity in order to be able to tune into, uh, to, uh, to Esaf. So Rabbi Ara wants to know if a number 11 is expressed through words or only through hugs. Very good. a question. I like that. The answer is usually through hugs, much more than through words. Even if it's words, it's not the words, it's the, It's the intensity of the words. It's what's in the words. So now we come to the last piece of the Maimer. Section 6, Chapter 6. If you uh, open your source sheet already, it's page Shid Memalav, close to the bottom, Vav. We said that the blessings are Hashem should give you from the dew of heaven the dew of heaven represents what's called Atik. Attic is number 11 in Kedusha, which is higher than the 10 spheres, because that's the only way you can elevate Ace of Sparks. The way to access this state of number 11, For this you have to access the essence of Erein Soiv, the essence of Hashem, who transcends even what we call Atik. Atik is the name in Kabbalah for the Pnimius of Kesser. Kesser is number eleven. Remember, we have the ten spheres. Above it is Keser. Kesser is like the crown on top of the head. Kesser itself, the deeper dimension of Kesser, is called Atik. He says you have to introduce Hashem's essence. The Atik mitzadatsmy Atik on its own. The word "atik" actually means removed, above, transcendent, sublime, because it is number eleven. It's completely beyond structure. How are you going to access it? In order to access it below, who? You have to tune in to the essence of Hashem who's not defined by any definition. And when it's not defined by any definition, even infinity could come into finite. What is the Rebbe saying here? The Rebbe is saying here, how do we create that fusion? How do we create the fusion between Yaakov and Esav? How do we create the fusion between 10 and 11? How do I take my own 11 and access it? Don't Didn't we explain that the world is based on 10 spheros? The world is based on 10, not on infinity. So suddenly you're telling me, go into your number 11 and bring it out. And that's how you're going to touch the Kedush of Esau. So the Rebbe says, you're right. You have to go to the place that transcends infinity and also transcends finiteness. Because only in that place can the two ultimately come together. <laughs> this is called Atzimus. Hashem is not defined by finite, but he's also not defined by infinity. Just as finiteness is a trap infinity can also be a trap. Just as being limited is being limited, being unlimited is also a limit. It's the limit that I have to be unlimited. So what does this mean in, in real words, in practical words? You won't find ultimate truth in infinity, just like you won't find it in infiniteness. In Where do you find it? You find it in the fusion between the two, in the tension between the two. You see there's the element of life that strives for infinity. No structure whatsoever. I just want to touch transcendence. There's the element of life that celebrates structure and discipline and seder. That comes from keser versus the ten Spheres. In which one do you find ms? So the Rebbe says neither. If you get stuck in infinity, you're getting stuck in one element. It's amazing, but it's an element. If you get stuck in finiteness, you're also getting stuck in something. Atzmos, the pure essence of Hashem, is not defined by any definition, including not the definition that it's undefined. It's not defined even by the definition that it's undefined. And therefore, it doesn't look any way. So there is a flexibility that is experienced when a person can go into that space where I don't have to come across a certain way. I'm not stuck in any image. Not in the image of chaos, and not in the image of structure. Not in the image of being bohemian, and not in the image of being disciplined and very, very organized and yakish. I am not stuck in anything. Why? Because I'm a conduit for Hashem's essence. And Hashem's essence expresses itself in infinity, and sometimes it expresses itself in very, very finite, limited venues. You're not defined by anything. Only when I can touch that place within myself can I fuse number 11 and number 10. When I can't touch that place within myself, then either my disposition gravitates to this or my disposition gravitates to this. So either I'm a Yaakov or I'm an Esav. Either I love to sit in the tents or I love to be in the field. Which one are you? Which one are you? Do you love to sit in the tents? Or do you love to be a hunter in the field? Different people have different things, different dispositions. Only when I get into a place of Atmos. what's Atmos? Atzmos is the pure essence. Liminal space. Liminal space. Only when I go into my own atmos, which is a reflection of Hashem's atmos. atzmos means the pure essence. I'm not defined, I don't have an image. Let me explain what this means. We know, all know, now listen carefully, we all know in Bereshit it says, a person was created in Hashem's image. But Here's the problem. Hashem doesn't have an image. If Hashem doesn't have an image, how can I be created in His image? Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, don't make an image of Hashem. The answer, of course, is, that's exactly the point. When it says you're created in Hashem's image, it means you are imageless. You are a reflection of Hashem's image, and Hashem doesn't have an image. That's you too. You also don't have an image. The worst thing we do to ourselves in life is we create ourselves in a particular image. I say, this is who I am. And now there is resistance to who I am. I'm confronting a curveball, and what happens? I either aggressively fight it, or I run away. Fight or flight, because I'm stuck in my reptilian brain, in my amygdala, which has an image. But when you realize that you're created in Hashem's image and Hashem is imageless, so you choose your image. You're not stuck in an image. You choose. Today, right now, my image is going to express itself in this way, even though yesterday it expressed itself in the opposite way. How? Not because you're chas a split personality, but because your personality can accommodate splits because you transcend categories. Your personality can accommodate splits not because you are split but because you confuse paradoxes because you're never stuck in an image of what life is supposed to look like. I'll have a memory I'm going to share with you. It taught me so much. It was approximately 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, the night of Simchas Torah. I was a young yeshiva student. The Lubavitcher Rebbe was dancing for hours. This was 1987. The Rebbe was dancing, but not just dancing. I have to say he was in his, was 87. So the Rebbe was uh, 85, 86. He was an older person. And he danced. I'm telling you, the 20-year-olds in the crowd could not keep up. The Rebbe was jumping and dancing. I remember there was a song, after 20 minutes, nobody had strength anymore. It was something special to see his, his joy with the Toyota that night. And it went for hours and hours and hours. It was incredibly festive. I would say an expression of, of infinite joy, at least the way I saw it. At 4 in the morning 3 3.30 it ended, they said Aleinu, and the Rebbe was going back to his room for a few hours till the, till the morning davening. As before he was about to leave, he started to talk. Usually, not, talk like 3.30, 4 in the morning. You couldn't hear because it was so noisy and surely You had 10,000 people, 8,000 people in a place that's legally holds 3,000. But I was in the front. Because I knew that sometimes the Rebbe would say things, and because I was one of the scribes, the oral scribes, I would stay in the front. So uh, I heard it. Maybe there were, there were probably five people who heard it. Me and Rabbi Groner, the Rebbe's secretary, maybe another few people, because it was so noisy. And what did the Rebbe talk about? He spoke about reminding everybody, he said that before he leaves, he wants to remind everybody that uh, on Simchas Torah, you have to be my Vesedre Vezoy because that's when you finish the Parsha. So you have to do it. And he spoke about it. And then he spoke about learning the Parsha Vezoy Sabrocha and learning Parsha's Beresh till that day, let's say, if Simchas Torah was whatever day in the week to learn Parsha's Beresh till that day, shishi I don't remember what the kviz then was. And he spoke about the importance that within all of the dancing, you know, people shouldn't forget the shiurim, what they have to learn, besides the other shiurim that people have. And then he started a niggin, and he went out. And I remember at the back of Shul, there were bleachers, people who were very far, because they were all the way in the back, and he stood with them and danced for a while. And for me, this was an illustration. You know, sometimes people get into this transcendent mode of infinity, you're dancing away. Who has time to think about being Maivasadra? It doesn't fit, you know? You have the Hevra who are everything is structured and this. So now myva said now we go to sleep, now we eat, now we go to show everything is there's no uh, there's no expansiveness. At that moment I saw what Yurish what Yurashamayam is. The Rebbe could dance for hours in the most infinite fashion and then <laughs> But now he spoke about something that was a very, very different nature. And the reason is because just like structure can be lethal, infinity can also be not the right thing. For this you have to be in touch with Hashem himself. And then there's no image. It doesn't look any certain way. Now you confuse the two. Says, now we come back to the beginning of the Maim, where The Rebbe said that there was the blessing Kim gave Yitzchak after Avram's death. But then there's a deeper blessing, the blessing that Yitzchak wants to give Esau and ends up giving Yaakov, V'yitim and that's a deeper blessing. Because this blessing is a blessing that's going to allow us to elevate Ace of sparks. And that can only come from Hashem's essence, Mamish. Because what allows us to elevate Ace of sparks? Accessing number eleven of holiness. The only way you can access number eleven down here in this world is through the essence, which confuse infinite, which confuse, which confuse infinity and finiteness. That's why he says ha elikim. Doesn't just say vayevarech Ha elikim, the elikim. Elikim represents concealment, but here we mean concealment in the sense what's called the ultimate core of all concealment which doesn't have to be concealed. It's the core of Ein Soif. And from there you have the power of birudim, of elevating Esau. This is the deeper meaning of what it says in Medrash. The Medrash says, when Yitzchak says, Hashem should give you from the dew of heaven and from the fat of the earth and much grain and much wine, it's also referring to certain aspects of Torah. The dew of heaven is Tanakh, Mikra, Teyre Shebiksav, Chumash. The fat of the earth is Mishnah. Grain is Talmud. And he goes through the other ones as well. B'raisa, Gemara. The L'Choy ne Muvan. Hare Gam Luli B'Rchis Yitzchak Oysa HaTeyre Nitenes L'Yisrael. Sherei Share HaSabri Yaisa B'Shabil SheYisrael Yikablu Asha Teyre. Utnai Yisna K'adosh Baruch Himayse B'Rishas Cholim Yisrael The Medrash makes it sound like this is the time that Yitzchak gave Yaakov the blessings to get Torah. The dew is Mikra. The fat is Mishnah. The grain is Gemara. But I don't understand. Even without this blessing, Hashem created the world. It says Bereshus. He created Reshus for two things. For the Jews to accept the Torah. There's a condition Hashem made the world if the Jews accept Torah, good. If not, the world has no right justification for existence. So you don't need Yitzchak to bless Yaakov with Torah. The is the DNA of creation. That was the purpose of creation. The explanation is the answer is there is todah and the is the the blessing of Yitzchak wasn't that the Jews should receive the Torah; that they would receive anyway. The blessing of Torah was the blessing of Yitzchak was what's called Yegi'a b'Torah. Yegi'a b'Torah is the toil in Torah. What seems like the struggle with Torah, allowing you to reach a deeper level of the wisdom of Torah, more than the Torah that was given to the Jewish people on its own. Torah is divine wisdom, but it's called wisdom, Chachma. In Chachma itself, there is many levels. There is conscious wisdom. The superconscious wisdom. It's called Chachmas tima But the toil in Taira, the struggle in Taira, allows one to experience what's called Ha the Helem Ma'atzmi, the pure infinity which transcends even the category of wisdom. That was the uniqueness of Yitzchak's blessings in Taira. If you can add, the Kiv and Yud Aleph, Shagama Makif Misper fi a cha ma chaja sem kanahu lo chain a idee birud ha alav kise ne meavuse na salach za gamambi duša. Š gam hin ne aek še loibeš be na svi, Nemm šehe b be se svies bep jusom. V in ze ho chiduš goddoljo se meamša da aek levar birudm. Š š le matto hirrak na sines he says there's one more point here. Sitra Achira, unholiness is number eleven. Why is it number 11? Because as we explained, the Makif, the higher light, is part of the number because that's what gives Klipa life. When Kedusha has the courage to transcend its structure and elevate those 11 crowns of impurity, Kedusha gets that gift as well. That even its own number 11 should become part of the number 10. That the 10 spheres become fused and they integrate number 11. By Kedusha giving this gift to, to klipa, Kedusha gets the same gift. Remember, Klippa is number 11, Kedusha is number 10. But in order to be Mavarit to elevate the Klippa, Kedusha has to reach into number 11 because you cannot get the language of Klippa without number 11. By Kedusha doing this to the Klippa, Kedusha gets the same gift, that number 11 becomes part of its structure. And this is in a way even a bigger chiddush than the first one. Because the first one, it's accessing number 11 to elevate Esau. Right? It's the power to elevate Asaf. Here we're talking about that this level itself becomes part of the integrated 10 spheres. So this allows access to Hashem's essence and it comes from access to Hashem's essence which is not defined by anything. And therefore number 11 and number 10 can completely become one. And that's what Yaakov Yitzchak meant v'yitim lecha with avav. The question is why does he start with avav? You don't start blessings with and. And Hashem will give you. Hashem will give you. He should have began yitam not v'yitam So Rashi says it means he'll give and he'll give again. And, and means he'll give and he will give again. So the Rebbe says there's two givings, there's two gifts. Gift number one is you should be able to access number 11 of Kedusha in order to elevate asaph Gift number two is that then number 11 becomes part of your own life. That's, this, that's a deeper gift. That's a deeper give. That Yaakov himself becomes transformed in the process. One element is that Yaakov has the power to give Esav what Esav needs. In other words, to access ha'eleikim, what's called helem ha'atzmi, the pure essence, which is not defined by anything, in order to be Mavari berurim, in order to elevate the sparks of Esav. The ya'chze is that through this avayda, the Esser spheres, the 10 spheres of Dusha, can fully integrate number 11, that it becomes part of the 10, which can only happen through the revelation of Atmos as a result of your working with Asav. And you could never have this with, if not working with Asav, because if I remain in my own zone, I remain in 10. It's Asav that allows me to bring out the number 11 to the point that it's fully now integrated into the 10 spheres. And this means really where the person is completely, completely a channel for the pure essence of Hashem, which is not defined by infinity or by finiteness. And what this means in a very, very real way is there's a complete flexibility in life to ask not what God can do for me, but to ask what I can do for God. To ask not what my child can do for me, but what I can do for my child. To ask not what my spouse can do for me, but what I can do for my spouse. This takes so much self confidence because if you're still trauma, if I'm still dealing with insecurity, I can never let go of anything. I have to hold on to whatever I have, and even that which I'm holding on to is not really something because I'm just being defensive. But when you have that real self confidence, you can just let go because you realize you're a manifestation of Hashem in this world. Now, I don't have to be in any particular image. I don't have to look a certain way. And on the other hand, I can honor whatever image I am at that moment. I can really honor it because I don't have to eliminate anything. I don't have to be embarrassed by anything. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to amputate any part of me. And he finishes the last paragraph, the blessing. <speaking language> When you have this blessing on both levels one is that you have the power to elevate Esau and one is that you have the power to elevate yourself which is deeper it gives you the dew of heaven and the fat of the land, both in the spiritual sense, Tanakh, Mishnaeus, and also physical, the dew of heaven. The Taloy Meyetzer, the Gemara says dew doesn't stop, unlike rain, where there can be different seasons. Especially that there's no even thought of stopping the dew and the fat of the land, and grain and wine, literally, with the ultimate expansiveness, that a person's economic and financial state and blessings, the fat of the land, and grain and wine, should be with the ultimate expansiveness, until the rebuilding of the third, which corresponds to Yaakov, Avram and Yitzchak are the first two temples, Yaakov is the third one, Yaakov called the Haram he called it a home. Avram called it a mountain. Yitzchak called it a field. And Yaakov called it a home. A home represents permanence. And from the Beis HaMikdash, the Gemara says, a Menachah light extended to the whole world. That the whole world is transformed into a home of Hashem, into a residence, into a space, into a Beis HaMikdash, where Hashem's infinity dwells and is manifested in the most conspicuous way. This completes at least one dimension of the, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Maimir V'yitin Lecha Tavshin chavches, the Maimir of Shabbos Taldas V'yitin that was said at the end of 1967 by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So, let's take a few questions if there are. Yes, I see a lot of questions. Okay. We'll take five minutes of questions. Okay. There's a story that Rashi says that Eliphaz chased after Yaakov when he ran to his to uncle Lovan and Eliphaz wanted to kill him. And Yaakov basically told Eliphaz, take the money that I have and a poor man is considered dead and you won't have to kill me. And Eliphaz accepted it and he didn't kill Yaakov because he grew up by Yitzchak so he felt bad. He took all of his money and Yaakov went to love on a poor man without anything. the person is asking, he doesn't understand, why did Yaakov have to give his money? Yaakov was very strong. And Hashem told him he's going to watch him and protect him. So he should have killed Aliphaz, because Aliphaz was trying to kill him. Why did he have to give him the money? Just kill Eliphaz. Alifaz was his nephew. So maybe he didn't want to kill his nephew. So the person is saying, that now, based on this mimer he understands. Yaakov understood that in order to get the sparks of asov, you have to go. You remember last year, Lifne Hashem. You have to go beyond Yutke Right? That's what Rifke told Yaakov. That these brachas come from Lifne Hashem. They go. They come from number eleven. So Yaakov could have killed alifas, but that would have that would have missed the point. He wanted to bring Elifas to a higher level. The only way he could bring Elifas to a higher level was that Yaakov had to get rid of all of his clothes, all of his money, all of his coverings, all of his uniforms. So basically, you're saying that Eliphaz was given by Yaakov a gift at that moment. He saw that Eliphaz has a tremendous spark, and he wanted to develop this power of Eliphaz, so he gave up everything he had. He took off all of his garments, he, he stripped himself from everything, in order to bring Eliphaz to a deeper place. And he learned this from Yitzchak, because Eliphaz grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak. And the person is mentioning, I once brought in a class, the Stipe Lagan once said, that because of Yitzchak's love to Eliphaz, we have the Jewish people today, because Eliphaz didn't kill Yaakov. So Yaakov followed the same example of Yitzchak to actually embrace Eliphaz and help him. And the fact is, if you look in Eov, chapter 4, it says that Eliphaz had Ruach HaKadosh, he had divine inspiration, and Rashi says, because he grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak, so here you have a person who comes to murder Yaakov, but he ends up having divine inspiration, why? Because Yitzchak raised him, and Yaakov continued to inspire him by stripping all of his garments, it's a beautiful insight, the person is adding, this must be Reb Daniel, right? Yeah, the person is adding, that it says in Kabbalah, that Eliphaz was, a, was reincarnated into Uncleus. Unculus was a reincarnation of Eliphaz. And Unculus didn't listen to Titus, he converted to Judaism. Where did he get this power from? Just like Eliphaz didn't listen to Aesop to kill Yaakov. So Eliphaz, Eliphaz's soul was reincarnated into Unculus, who translated the entire Torah into Aramaic. He didn't listen to Titus, and he converted to Judaism. There's not a week that goes by that we don't learn the Chumash. With Targum Unkulus, Shnaya Mikrivachatargum, as I told you the story before some even some khastari, you read Unkulus. Why do we have to learn Uncleus every single week? Why? Because this teaches us you never give up on a soul, and you certainly never give up on a Jew. You have to go beyond your structure and comfort zone to reach infinity. And we see how rewarding this can be. In the beginning, it's difficult to go beyond ourselves. But when you realize the results are infinitely great, and every single week we learn Targum Unkelos to remind us of our ability to go out of our Hebrew mold into the Aramaic mold and, uh, and elevate Unkelos. That's a very, very beautiful, beautiful insight. There's a story of Rabbi hugging the convict. I find that as tapping in to number 11. Okay, beautiful. Very beautiful footnotes. Thank you. A serious bohemian will even turn around nature. They will turn night into day and day into night by staying up all night and sleeping all day. Yes. Hashem wants us to have bohemian, uninstricted love for God, for other Jews, for Torah, for family. We need to find unrestricted love and yet... We also have to find balance. Rabbi Grossman and Migdal goes to discos, jails, to gather holy sparks, holy souls. Art Scroll just gave out a beautiful book called The Living Legend about Rabbi Grossman from Migdal in Israel going to all these places. I guess the point here is that Torah life is divinely balanced, not egotistically balanced. Beautiful. Yes, t- divinely balanced, not egotistically balanced. When Mashiach comes, will we access Atik? Well, the point here is that this is the preparation for Mashiach. The word Atik means removed, above. Is that why in English the attic is above all the rooms? So the word Atik, atik comes from the word Atik, which is in the book of Daniel. Is that true? There is a book called The Word. It gives a thousand English words, thousands of English words that are derived from Hebrew. Is Attic one of them? Interesting. I never thought of that. Interesting. <laughs> the, the name Attic comes from the book of Daniel. It says that Hashem is Attic Yoimin, which means both the ancient one and the removed one, the aloof one. You spoke about the toil in Torah. What does toil and Torah mean? The toil in Torah means that Torah challenges us. You have to go deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like, it's like not not being superficial. It's really breaking it apart and dissecting it, and really toiling your brain in it, getting to the to the depths, and that allows you to find something in Torah that you wouldn't have found initially in the gift. It's called the Archeiser, that which comes through toil through struggle. It's like when you learn Gemara and you try to understand it and you, you don't and you fail again and again and again. But from that, you reach a much deeper level of wisdom. That's the, the deeper element of Torah. That's what Yitzhak was blessing Yaakov with. Okay, my dear friends, I love you all. Sending love and blessings to all of you. And may all of us have that courage in our lives not to get stuck in any image, we don't have to look a certain way, but really open ourselves up to the energy of infinity that wants to manifest itself through you, through us, through me at this very moment, whatever that looks like. And to be able to be open to every person with that type of, uh, with that type of love, without the need to judge and without the need to judge. I'm saying learning Gemara is very hard, and people sometimes deceive themselves. They're learning Gemara at a class or themselves, and they just go fast, and yeah, I get the picture. doesn't work that way. You really have to learn the Pasuk and Chumash, and then the Mishnah, and understand the Mishnah well, and master it with Rashi or the other commentaries on the Mishnah, the Rambam or the Toys Yom to the Bhartanur, and then to Gemara, and understand every line of the Gemara, and understanding the question and the refutation and the answer and the proof. It's, it takes time, it takes time Sometimes people want to cover ground So they rush, but they're left with nothing And there's a lot of internal deception Like, I want to believe that I understood it So I say that I understood it But then somebody asks me a question or two And I realize I didn't understand anything So it's important to accept that it's hard <laughs> Wahavdil, we'll right? If somebody's going to take me on a hike And before the hike they tell me That this is going to be a very strenuous hike you know, here is the water. It's going to be a journey. Gemara is a very, very intense journey. It's amazing that there are teachers who know how to instill the love into the Gemara, and the kids should really get it. Because when you get it, it's incredible. But so, but but very many just don't get it. They just hear the words and they get something. But the whole build-up and structure, it's like a, it's like it's like building a building. It's, it's it, it takes it takes an architect. Takes a a contractor. it's literally putting up a building. It's an intellectual edifice, a mansion. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. make even a small contribution at slash donate.